You're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network. Welcome back to Faster, More Intense for The Mandalorian Chapter 15, The Believer. I am one of your hosts, Michael Cohen, and with me, we've got returning special guest, uh, Samantha Cacho. Hi. How's it going, fam? I'm good. How are you? <laughs> I am I am good. I Actually, you know, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and say I'm great. We got a bunch of <laughs> awesome news to talk about. Yes. Um, we got one of my favorite episodes of the season to talk about here with The Believer, um, and I uh, and and a great turn for a character that I was not expecting. It's the second time this season that we've gotten blindsided by uh, a character that that uh, I don't like. I did not like now mm. becoming like a standout Star Wars character. Um, and uh, just a lot of really cool stuff to talk about. And I'm I'm really glad that you're here to talk about this stuff with me. But um, thank you. Before we get into the exciting news, let's just really quickly check in. Uh, we've got one more episode left after this one. I, I, so this is our, our penultimate episode of the season. Um, and, uh, and I just wanted to check in with the trans rights, our human rights. This is the way fundraiser as we've been doing for every episode this season and, uh, and see where it's at right now. It is at, uh, $18,483. Uh, and I, I, we want to help them push towards that $20,000. Uh, milestone before essentially like before we do we record our episode next week like that's kind of what i'm looking at so i mm-hmm. uh with with that just another reminder go to gofundme.com and just search uh trans rights or human rights and uh, and and you'll see it it's got the little baby yoda uh in his yeah. carrier uh, <laughs> Uh, and, uh, and, and just give what you can, right. Just, just, uh, you know, like five bucks, uh, it, it all helps, uh, it, it all goes towards, uh, this great cause, um, which is, uh, uh, supporting the transgender law center and, uh, and it helps offset some of the, um, let's call them negative feelings that we have when we watch the episodes and mm. certain characters show up. Uh, so, you know, really like, quickly, uh, yeah. I was going to say what's so great about this too is, you know, Hollywood likes to, and I'm in the business, um, but Hollywood likes to, in many ways, have this kind of front of being very progressive. And in certain matters it is, but many times, you know, other things come to a head. And um, so this is important. And when we have, you know, a want for these voices, these stories to not only be heard and told, but to be do so, to be done so with an authenticity and so um just wanted to put that out there and i'm glad that we're starting this off with that and putting that to the forefront it is important in terms of what's going on behind the screen because it is absolutely reflective of the larger world that we live in and star wars at large comes from that too 
Totally. I haven't done one of these in a while. That was a whole lot of gibberish. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's all good. It's all good. I, you're, you're, I'll get better as we go made. along. <laughs> it's look. I, I know. I know that that the listeners are are probably a little bit. Um, I I. Uh, I don't want to say deaf. I don't want to say anything that's too insensitive because I do think that our listeners care. I've, I've, in fact, I've heard back from a lot of people that they appreciate that we check in with this and that this has been mm-hmm. an important cause for us. But, but it is at this point we're uh, on the the uh, the the seventh episode of the season, and mm-hmm. we've been talking about this since the summer, right? So, um, you know, like we we've we've kind of talked about this from every angle that you can possibly talk about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, it, it, but it does tie back into what Star Wars is about and the ideals that George was really trying to get across with his storytelling. Not just Star Wars; it's also in Willow. It's also in it's it's even in there in Indiana Jones to a certain degree. Like like it's just it's in his storytelling that right. that um the it's- the. Differences are not something to be uh, to be squashed, but to be celebrated, right? And uh, and and it's it's our job to definitely stand up for um, f- for causes uh, in the face of injustice. That's that there there couldn't be anything more Star Wars than that, in my opinion. I mean, like that's what that's what all of the movies are about. Um, yeah. And, and myth uh, is not just homogenous and you know we need to stop acting like it is so absolutely yeah um on that note let's let's jump yeah, into uh, the, yeah the big news yeah. um and and talk a little bit we're so we're not going to go in depth on this stuff um i, I I'll, i'm actually going to save that we'll probably come back after the break um and and do an episode that uh, that really digs into each and every one of these and 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 sort of we can we can blow them up because we do want to get into the actual recap we don't want this to be a four-hour episode um <laughs> but i but i do want to go through and i do want to highlight uh i each of these projects that that was announced during the disney investor day presentation um and then at the end i'm going to tell you guys what i'm most excited for and and sam's going to tell us what she's most excited for and uh, and then we're going to get into the recap so let's Let's go. We're going to power through this. I at the top of the list, Rogue Squadron. The next Star Wars feature film will be Rogue Squadron, directed by Patty Jenkins Yay. of the Wonder Woman franchise. The story will introduce a new generation of starfighter pilots as they earn their wings and risk their lives in a boundary-pushing, high-speed thrill ride and move the saga into the future era of the galaxy. I don't need to get into details because I gave you guys the emphasis on what I think is the most important thing about that blurb. Uh, you can argue about which X-Wing is in the silhouette of the logo all you want. It's right there. The future era of the galaxy. Um, let's go. Let's move on to the, the untitled Taika Waititi film. I hope they, I, I want them to literally just call it Taika Waititi's Star Wars. Like that to me is the unless unless he's got some crazy name that he wants to 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 use for it, but but to me it's like you could just call it Taika Waititi's Star Wars, and I think we would all we would all know exactly what we're in for. Uh, a brand new Star Wars feature with acclaimed filmmaker and Academy Award winner Taika Waititi is in development. Taika's approach to Star Wars will be fresh, unexpected, and 
unique, said Kennedy. His enormous talent and sense of humor will ensure that audiences are in for an unforgettable ride. Uh, the one thing I want to note here is that on the uh, social media, I think it was on Twitter, the the little announcement that they posted, uh, Taika posted underneath it. Uh, I'm going to paraphrase here because I don't have it in front of me, but basically I can't wait to... Uh, to, to basically to ruin Star Wars to be yes, angry for Star Wars. <laughs> um I like like he he gets it he understands I uh, like the 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 hill that he has to climb here with this um and I think that that's perfect I think he's going to bring the same sensibility to Star Wars that he brought to the MCU and I think that the MCU definitely benefited from it um and i mean like james gunn was also doing a similar thing with guardians of the galaxy but uh but i think we'll get the same sort of effect where star wars takes itself very seriously i think taiko is going to come in here and he's going to help us have a little bit more fun with it uh and uh, and remember that it's a that it's dumb to begin with uh it's great and it's the best thing ever but it is also very silly i mean the the dog helps them fly the airplane right it's it's dumb. it's so weird for me to think that i saw one of his films in Cannes in 2007 it was eagle versus yeah. shark and I, I i didn't even know like it was him back then so it's so strange to think like 13 years later just <laughs> yeah like what i was watching then and he's got an academy award now and and just what yeah. he's done it's just wild to me he's, he's <laughs> such an moment. incredibly sharp uh intelligent witty person yeah. i i can't wait i think it's going to be so good um of course i we can't we can't go further without talking about obi-wan kenobi which is just now titled obi-wan kenobi uh, which is really silly it needs to be just kenobi i will say this is the hill kenobi. i will die on it's yeah. just weird when you have ahsoka and lando and andor like kenobi's just it's the name of the book and it's just and it's what we've been but you know what you may have just hit it you may have just hit it on the head right there hit the nail on the head right there it is the name of the book and maybe they want to make sure that it's separated from that i think i think it's going to be very different which part of me is kind of sad because i love the book but part of me is you know like yay i can be annaline colwell down the road so (laughs) (laughs) we'll take it Uh, it, let me read this description. Uh, this, uh, I, so I didn't do the whole thing because there's a long blurb for Obi-Wan. This oh, is yeah. the most important part. This will be a day long remembered as it was confirmed that Hayden Christensen will be returning as Darth Vader. Uh, and then the quote from Kathleen Kennedy, this will be the rematch of the century. We don't have time. There's no time. We can't get into this right now. Fight again. Is he a ghost? What is it? <laughs> There's no time. We have no time. Oh my God. This is incredible. Uh, this is what everybody has been asking for from Star Wars for so long. I, yeah, I mean, this is crazy. It's crazy. I just hope uh, Hayden can do some of that shattered glass acting, which he's phenomenal in that. I film. think Deborah Chow was uh, going to bring out a side of Hayden Christensen's performance so as Anakin great. Skywalker yeah. that we haven't seen yet. And that is the most exciting part of this. Look, Ewan is at the top of his game. I mean, like he, yeah. he played two roles in Fargo that couldn't have been more different from one another. And, and it was incredible. Like everything he's done in the last 10 years has been mind blowing to me. I, and so I was never worried about that. I, but having Hayden come back, it's a mixed bag, right? Cause we, there's a lot, there's a lot to unpack about Hayden's performance as Anakin, 
um, good and bad, right? But Hayden is a very skilled performer, and I think he is going to uh, really shine with a great director like Deborah Chow, who who proved to us last year mm-hmm. on The Mandalorian that that she gets it. She knows she understands Star Wars. I mean, all you got to do is watch those gallery episodes, listen to her talk about Star Wars, her filmmaking process. Uh, this is going to be exciting. This is they're they're not calling this a Disney Plus series. This isn't just like oh we're making an Obi Wan Kenobi show. This is a limited series event, uh, and like that's how they're treating it. This is this is a movie. This is this is a, a what what'll be essentially a very long movie. Same as Falcon and the Winter Soldier. When you see that, and you see that like they're not treating that as a television show with seasons. Falcon and the Winter Soldier is a is the next Marvel movie with those characters. It just happens to be what, six hours long. Yeah. Uh, so, four or is it six? I've heard both. I don't, I, I, I'm not sure what the, I thought it was like, final breakdown is. With too. And it's like, yeah. I mean, I do like that. They're not sticking with like the same thing. And I know with the Marvel, it seems like Loki, maybe two seasons. So I'm glad they're not necessarily sticking with this kind of, um, you know, template of each one's going to be six episodes because each story is going to have, you know, what it needs in terms of time. Yeah. So, um, yeah, but I, they're, I've they're, heard so many things for Obi-Wan. I'm like, I just want to know. I don't care how long it is. I just, yeah. is it four or is it six? But I guess we'll find out. Totally. Uh, and then uh, I'm going to do these two as one chunk. Ahsoka, after making her long-awaited live-action debut in The Mandalorian, Ahsoka Tano's story, written by Dave Filoni, will continue in a limited series starring Rosario Dawson, an executive produced by Dave Filoni and John Favreau. And then Rangers of the New Republic, set within the timeline of The Mandalorian, this new live-action series from executive producers John Favreau and Dave Filoni, it's interesting how they how they flip those. They they transpose those there. Will intersect with future stories first with <laughs> and culminate into a climactic story event. So That's here's wild. the thing. This is this is what's going on here, okay? And I haven't gotten the chance to talk about this at length yet, but I'm not I'm going to be brief. The Ahsoka and Rangers of the New Republic stories are them looking at it and going, okay, we've we've got a handle on the volume. We know how to produce these shows. Disney is going to invest in building three more of these studios. Um, unfortunately, not not one in Atlanta. I know you were hoping for that. I'm so bummed uh, about that. I'm from <laughs> Marvel. I get what it's. Well, I know London and Australia were the other two mentioned. Which London I get, and Australia yeah. probably for Taika. Um, but dude, yeah. I'm bummed about Atlanta. I hope that changes. <laughs> But so if we look at this um, as, uh, it, as the same sort of thing that The Mandalorian is, which is an eight episode season of roughly 45 minutes to an hour long episodes, uh, you're looking at, at another 16 episodes on top of next season's eight episodes of Mandalorian. That brings you to a 24 episode season, which is really just one season of standard television. Mm. They're doing what I have been asking the CW to do with all of their DC shows for like the last four years, which is like, stop stretching these shows and making every character show up in every episode for 24 episodes. Do it like where you have, eight episodes of this, eight episodes of this and eight episodes of this and bring it all together at the end with a crossover, right? Like basically give us a movie at the end with, with these characters all together. And that is what they're doing with this. 
Ahsoka and Rangers of the New Republic are are spin-offs of Mandalorian. That's how they're being talked about. And they will uh, diverge and then converge. So you can kind of look at Mando as like the center and then these characters branch off and then they're going to come back in further down the road. And, and this is really all one story. This is all set in the same time period. It's one story with three perspectives. And I think the reason why they did that is that they looked at it and went, we have a larger story to tell moving forward with Mando but the Mandalorian is from Din's perspective, right? We we've broken that a little bit this season, and we've branched off and 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 seen some other people and 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 lived with them for a second or two, but but not much, right? It is the story is primarily from Din's perspective. So I think this was their attempt at maintaining the purity of what the Mandalorian is and not breaking that show. And, and honestly, like jumping the shark by doing so and making it all of a sudden go from a cast of like 10 characters to a cast of 30. Right. But instead, like, let's break these things off. Let's take this character over here. Let's take Ahsoka over here and we'll tell those stories and then we'll bring it all back together into the finale of this whole thing. Um, so and I, like, do you think Ahsoka and Rangers of the New Republic will go like one season and then they'll dovetail then, or do you think they'll go multiples and then they'll? I, yeah, I think Ahsoka. Ahsoka. The way that they talk about it is that it's a limited series, same as same as Obi Wan, yeah. and and so that makes me think that Ahsoka is probably eight to ten episodes, if maybe even less than that. Um, and it and it will. I mean, if it's if it's picking up right after the end of her episode then it is literally about the hunt for Thrawn. And right. Which I will just say, I will I wish these were an animation. I mean, I don't know. We don't know what it's going to be. Part of me really loves the idea of the Thrawn stuff being in animation. I just want to point out, I hope, I know we're getting Bad Batch. I hope that we get a lot more Star Wars. Oh, well, I know we have the droid thing too, I think, right? Um, I hope we get a lot yeah. more Star Wars animation because Clone Wars and Rebels were so special and animation is not a lesser medium. And they see medium. It's not a genre. If you remember Brad Bird's um, yeah. whole little talk about it. And, um, you know, I, I am, you know, looking forward to what they do. Part of me loved about The Mandalorian is that it was so simplistic in what it was and kind of just separate. Obviously, yeah. that's not going to continue. Um, so I will make my peace with that. So I'm, I'm curious with what they're doing. I do hope down the road we do have certain things that are maybe separated maybe the acolyte will be yeah. i don't know um and i, I can get something yeah. like rebels and clone wars down the road where it's something brand new like that because star wars really is so rich in animation and animation serves the fantastical so well so yeah i i do think I do think that they're going to continue the story with Ahsoka and Sabine in animation. Um, I think that what this will do is bring us up to that point. I think, I think that this limited series is the, is the connective tissue between Ahsoka's appearance in Mando and, and her finding where Thrawn is. Right. And then, and then going to get Sabine and then, and that's why this is a limited series, not ongoing. I think also because like, like the story that they probably want to tell there, it's, it's always going to be more difficult to do this stuff 
in live action, right? Um, and as much as the volume gives them the ability to do incredible stuff, um, it, it's definitely suited for more personal, smaller stories, right? So right. Um, I, I think that I think that what we're going to see is when you look at, at Bad Batch and you see the epic scope of that, um, they're going to save that stuff for movies and animation. And then the more personal, smaller stories are the live action series. So... I, th- I do think that Ahsoka is going to bring us up to that point and how that intersects with the Mandalorian uh, right. with, with his story. And, and, uh, and it'll all sort of tie into the creation of the first order, I think. Um, right. And then at a certain point, Ahsoka is going to split off from that, go get Sabine. And then that story continues in animation as a sequel series to star Wars rebels um, right. in the it's same not- way that now we know bad batch is the literal sequel to right. the clone wars. Right. Right, which um, is the timeline a little than what we thought, because I think we originally thought that Ahsoka and Sabine went off like maybe a year later, and it's obviously not that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, significantly thought. later. Um, fans and timelines, always a big thing. <laughs> so I do think that Rangers of the New Republic is something that could go alongside uh, Mandalorian, and then act, and and then maybe even possibly some of those characters or stories continue past the mm-hmm. end point of the Mandalorian. Um, I do think that, and we'll talk about it when we actually do the, get into the recap of this episode, but I do think that Migs could be one of the characters in Rangers of the New Republic. Yeah. Um, like I, I believe they were setting that up in this episode. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, let's, let's continue through here. I, we, next up, we've got Lando. Not a lot of details here. Everyone's favorite scoundrel, Lando Calrissian, will return in a brand new event series for Disney+. Justin Simeon, creator of the critically acclaimed Dear White People, and a huge Star Wars fan, is developing the story. So they didn't announce Donald Glover. They yeah, didn't was- announce anybody returning from Solo um, yet. And that just that might just mean that they're trying to figure out the details of it and and uh, and they're not quite ready to make that announcement. It might also mean that they're waiting because they they do want to save stuff for the Q1 earnings call. They can't tell us everything for the next 10 years now because then they have nothing to tell us later. And they they have to if you look at the way that the stock bumps up every time they do an earnings call, which is the whole purpose of an earnings call. I like they're they will be holding some of this stuff for that and like it, it's business this is just it's all business so um I yeah I, of- I, I hold out hope that we are getting a Donald Glover Lando series and that it hopefully picks up after Solo and maybe even includes Kira and uh, and ties up some of those cliffhangers really quick I will say I just rewatched Solo recently and the mm-hmm. emphasis reveal is still just was the most magnificent thing to me. And I really do think, you know, Lando would be so much better if they somehow got uh, Aaron Kellerman in for um, Emphis and somehow got Amelia in for Kira. I mean, we know Amelia can do a show. And then um, Aaron, I know, is going to be on Falcon and Winter Soldier. So, I mean, they've Mm -hmm. got these connections there. And, I mean, I would have loved to have seen the show by the two of them. But um, with the other, I mean, I was surprised they didn't mention Donald, but then they also didn't mention um, Oscar Isaac for uh, Moon Knight. So, I, I mean, again, yes. those things take so long to to go through in terms of contracts and, you know, just filming and with COVID. So I just, I hope we get some of those. Solo had a lot of badass ladies and uh, they really yeah. deserve an encore. So I hope we see them. Absolutely. 
absolutely. And I think it's the closest we're going to get to a sequel to solo <laughs> but uh as much as i want to make solo ha- two happen just like everybody else uh the further away we get from it the less likely it seems but uh but i mean like we're talking about a bunch of stuff in this in this in these announcements that i never thought would happen so right. who knows? um next up we've got andor uh which is which is the next thing that we'll probably be seeing uh, Andor, a tense nail-biting spy thriller created by Tony Gilroy, is set to arrive on Disney Plus. Well, I guess not, because we'll see another season of Mando before we see this. Uh, in 2022, Diego Luna reprising the role of rebel spy Cassian Andor from Rogue One will be joined by a fantastic new cast that includes Stellan Skarsgård, uh, Adria Ar- Arjona, uh, Fiona Shaw, Denise Gao, uh, or is it Gao or Goff? Maybe it, it could be either. Uh, I don't know. Uh, Ky- yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Kyle Soller and Genevieve O'Reilly as Mon Mothma, returning character. It's exciting. Uh, production kicked off three oh, weeks ago in London. Sorry, go ahead. Is um So is Alan confirmed for it? I thought it was interesting because they didn't mention him there. And, you know, so I was like, Alan Tudor. Yeah, that is interesting. He I, Yeah, because they did talk about him returning, didn't they? He, he was not li- he was not listed during the yeah. you know I'm not seeing his picture and I don't know if it's one of those things where maybe they will have somebody different there on set and maybe he'll voice it possibly because Alan seems to be like all over um like he's mm-hmm. been in the Doom Patrol for certain things but you know a lot of the times you know they'll get somebody else for that physical person on set and you know like with Mandalorian and they'll have the voice so I'm I mean I just I feel like you just don't have the show without K2SO. So I don't know. We'll see. Yeah. And Fiona Shaw, how great is uh, Harry Potter's, um, you know, Aunt Petunia? <laughs> yeah. This is the most amazing thing. She's so great on killing me. I, I remember Fiona Shaw most uh, I prominently. Uh, this is show my age, right? But uh, from uh, from Three Men and a Little Lady. Uh, that was the first time that I became aware of Fiona Shaw as an actor. And uh, so every time that she pops up in something, it's like when she pops up in Harry Potter, I'm like, oh, <laughs> so uh, yeah, no, I, I great, great actor. So I'm excited to see Billy, I mean, like the, this, the whole thing with uh, uh, Andor, it sounds great. It sounds like, yeah. and he's a producer on the show too, well, which is really cool. He loves the material so much. Yeah. And um, I was meaning to say, actually, Jimmy Smith's, I do hope Jimmy Smith shows up ever briefly. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I just love hearing um, Diego talk about Star Wars because he's so earnest in his appreciation of it. And that's just, that's just intoxicating, I think, like as a viewer to listen to, because how can you just not be completely drawn in by him? Totally. Oh, okay. The next one, the next one I'm most excited about. (laughs) (laughs) So next up, we've got The Acolyte. Uh, Leslie Headland, Emmy Award nominated creator of the mind-bending series Russian Doll, brings a new Star Wars series to Disney Plus with The Acolyte. The Acolyte is a mystery thriller that will take the audience into a galaxy of shadowy secrets and emerging dark side powers in the final days of the High Republic era. Uh, This is exciting. This is very exciting. Uh, Leslie Headland is uh, uh, a new name to a lot of people, I think, but very quickly becoming familiar with Star Wars fans. Uh, interesting that they included 
a lot of her talking in in the the Empire Strikes Back retrospective that they put in the Star Wars show this week. Um, clearly, they had her in the in in the studio for something, or or on the line, I guess, uh, to to talk about something else, and uh, and and got her to talk about Empire for a while. Um, but uh, yeah, this is exciting. This is this is yeah. a big one, and you know what? I'm excited because High Republic. We don't know anything about the High Republic really at this point. It's 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 completely new stuff. So uh, it's wide open field, uh, yeah. which is exciting. And it seems like our protagonist is going to be a woman. So that's what I thought I got from this. I don't know, but I just I get like a very Asajj Ventress feel from all yeah. of this, and yeah. you know justice for Asajj Ventress. So if we can have like any kind of small replication of that in spirit, I would just be so, so thrilled. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, it, I mean, the rumors for a while were that it was going to be something related to the Night Sisters, And uh, to me, emerging dark side powers, shadowy secrets that to me, that confirms that it is somehow connected to Dathomir and, and the night sisters. So I think that this might actually like dovetail into, uh, I, an origin story, not, not a specific origin story for Asajj because we're talking right. about, you know, a couple hundred years, but, but, um, but sort of setting up the, 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 the world for Asajj, um, uh, right. we, down the road. We don't know how old mother Talzin was either. And I just, I would love it too if there was, you know, for you know, even the Night Sisters. What are they seen as? Witches, these yeah. women with power that we don't know, understand that we don't understand necessarily. It kind of scares us, you know. Throughout history, what are those women deemed as witches? And I would just, you know, this. I really can't wait to see what Leslie does in terms of um, kind of just putting even what we know in the Star Wars world on its head. Because, like I said, you don't want to keep things homogenous. You want to keep that variety in there and yeah i remember when i saw that little blurb and when kathleen said it i was like yes okay <laughs> so yeah yeah for sure um you know what i'm gonna skip over the description for bad batch you guys know what bad batch is <laughs> everybody sure? knows okay <laughs> yeah more clone wars it's the bad batch um yeah it looks like it's gonna be great the, yeah, the sizzle reel that they showed sure. was fantastic it's doing a ton of yeah. stuff <laughs> Uh, and then we got Star Wars Visions. This one they did not give us a lot of details on, but presenting all new creative takes on the galaxy far, far away, Star Wars Visions will be a series of animated short films celebrating Star Wars through the lens of the world's best anime creators. The anthology collection will bring 10 fantastic visions from several of the leading Japanese animation, uh, sorry, anime studios, offering a fresh and diverse cultural perspective to Star Wars. Uh, this is uh, uh, the Animatrix for Star Wars. <laughs> so that's what it is. Uh, so expect a lot of things that are going to be very confusing. They won't fit into canon. We'll ask questions of where is this in the timeline? And there will be a lot of arguments on the internet, but it'll definitely look cool. Um, if it can look like even slightly, you know, even if they did something kind of more Avatar The Last Airbender-ish, you know, which had the Dave Filoni touch as well. I feel like we're just, we're already on solid ground. So if you start with that and then just keep going. Yeah. I think, I think because of the anthology nature of it, I think we'll end up with a whole bunch of different art styles. Yeah. So there, I think there will be like a, like a, like a box of, uh, of chocolates. There'll be <laughs> the ones in there that you really like and the ones in there that you don't mind so much. And the ones in there that you absolutely hate. 
So to me, Star Wars Visions is my least interested one of these because it's going to be all over the place. It's going to be a mess, but it'll be a pretty mess. So whatever. But in terms of storytelling, I highly doubt that we're going to get anything meaningful. Sorry? It's, but I like that it's, you know, taking that risk and especially taking that risk in animation too. Because I think people also have a very specific idea as well of like what animation should look like. And that's even a huge discussion as well in terms of all these various, you know, styles that you can play with. So it, that's going to be an interesting thing to see. Yeah. And who they, you know, bring aboard and, and specifically what stories they decide to tell as well. Yeah, totally. Uh, and then last, uh, a droid story. As Lucasfilm continues to develop new stories, the intersection of animation and visual effects offers new opportunities to explore. Lucasfilm Animation will be teaming up with Lucasfilm's visual effects team, Industrial Light and Magic, to develop a special Star Wars adventure for Disney+, Plus. a droid story. This epic journey will introduce us to a new hero guided by legendary duo R2-D2 and C-3PO. Uh, this one sounds like it might be uh, a live action animated hybrid, which which could be cool. Oh, that would be cute, um, actually. Um, I hope yeah. Chopper makes an appearance just because <laughs> he's my life. And four years ago, he got his on screen debut in Rogue One. Happy Fourth, Rogue One. So, yes. Yeah. But uh, Star Wars has always just taken such care with the droids and imbued them with such humanity. And it's so difficult. And so I'm really curious what this new one is going to look. It will be more astromech or a protocol, probably astromech. I would think. I don't know. I don't know if you have an idea on it, but this would be something that I would show my niece first to like kind of. Get yeah, it. I don't know. I will. We'll we'll see. But yeah, I like that. I like that the content isn't just for adults, which. Uh, it's Star Wars. Uh, less of it should be for adults, in my opinion. There's a lot of stuff in this in this uh, uh, list that is very adult oriented, and I already don't like that. That you know, like I gotta wait a few more years to watch Mandalorian with uh, with my daughter, uh, well, with the oldest one, um, yeah. and even longer with Cassie. So I like it. It's uh, I I I would appreciate it if we got a little bit more like family friendly Star Wars content, something that was a little bit more like the Ewok adventures and stuff like that. So <laughs> they, other something other than Lego Star Wars, which mm-hmm. like I love a lot of what Lego Star Wars has done, in particular the Freemaker Adventures stuff. But mm-hmm. it would be nice to get something else, right? Um, you know, and something it's so, a little bit more substantial. It hurts when they do create that content and then people come out and they're just so antagonistic about it. Um, like yeah. the forces of destiny, which is the only thing that my niece has seen. She's for other than a couple of clips from Return of the Jedi of the Ewoks, but that's her entry point, and she loves them, and they're well done. And to have the majority of the actors be a part of it, you know, again, and this has been a whole thing about animation is for everyone. You know, I just this whole thing too that animation is for children. You know, I know it started with fairy tales. You know, in a sense, in terms of you know Disney started with Snow White, but. You know, fairy tales are to prepare children for adulthood in many ways. And I think they help adults have this, you know, cognizant memory of things that happened to them as a child. And so they're so related. And it it's just really frustrating on that. And when you get really antagonistic reviews and comments regarding that. And that's, again, where you just, you got to make what, what you want to make. And that's where you got to have a variety of people doing it. And yeah, so totally. I hope it looks like they're doing that right now. And I hope we get even more of it. 
Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I, I, I think that Lucasfilm has been proving I, I slowly but surely, and Mando is definitely a great gateway into it, that animation is for everybody. But uh, I, I, yeah, I mean, like some more all ages content, I think would be, would be a benefit. Um, but, uh, but we'll see. We'll, we'll see what direction they, they go in with some of this stuff. Um, with that, uh, I guess I'll just know. I didn't note it at the beginning. Rogue Squadron is my most anticipated out of this list. Um, Patty Jenkins, I, I being tapped for it, and the way that she talks about it in that in that little video that they released uh, with her, um, it just it gets me very very excited uh, for the story that they're gonna tell, and I I am holding out hope that this this the end of that blurb. Uh, move the saga into the future era of the galaxy is not just some random afterthought uh, piece of marketing speak, but is, but that it holds true. And that this is a story that takes place after rise of Skywalker, because I think we, we desperately need more stories in that era so that we can have a little bit of closure that that movie didn't give a lot of people. Um, because yeah it really doesn't it doesn't it it is not the button on the saga that return of the jedi was in 1983 um and it's certainly not the one that we were promised by jj and others i it it ends with about 16 million question marks um and i i really leaves all of our characters in positions of like huh (laughs) like what happens now um, and for those of us who really love a lot of those characters and have deep connections to them, uh, it would be really nice. It would be really, really nice to see what happens. Um, and post Rise of Skywalker is more interesting to me than doing something in the New Republic era or uh, or something in the Rebellion era, um, especially because we could have we could have Poe return in some way. I, I, even if it's just as a cameo, we could have Kazuta Ziono show up in live action, um, which would be a really nice change. Actually, we could really have any of the resistance characters show up in live action. Um, Yeager is, is another great one that could show up. Um, And, uh, and, and, and we could have continuing stories with wedge, which would actually justify why he was in rise of Skywalker to begin with. Uh, so I think that they have a really big opportunity there to, to at least show us sort of like the, the, the less force oriented side of the galaxy and what it looks like post rise of Skywalker, uh, post fall of the new Republic and the first order. Um, and, uh, and, and really give us an idea of what the star Wars galaxy looks like, uh, like moving forward into the future, not just, not just jumping 300 years in the past or, or uh, playing in the sandbox that we've been playing in since 1977, but actually like, Hey, let's uh, let's press forward. Um, based on, on the promising stuff that was given to us in the sequel trilogy, because, you know, like I think uh, yesterday was the, the three year anniversary of, the last Jedi and there's a lot of really good stuff that came out of that movie. There's a lot of really great storytelling and that the, the, the world building that they did into um, the, the post classic trilogy era 
is interesting but but a lot of it is very thin (laughs) We're, we're very isolated in those stories and i think in order for those stories to to maybe have a little bit more meaning and i'm specifically looking at tross um i think that we we need some ancillary stories to back it up and rogue squadron being in that time period means that we'll get other stories along with that we'll get other novels and comics and all of that stuff in order to to support all of these new characters and that's going to give us more than just one movie because i don't think one movie is going to give us that but i think that playing in that era is going to give us that context and meaning behind a lot of the stuff that i think was window dressing in rise of skywalker and stuff that felt kind of hollow so So you don't um, think it'll be set right before the force awakens because that's my no, I don't think we're so. saying like it's so thin everything we have. I feel like in in terms of on screen, not ancillary material, right before the Force oh. Awakens. Um, yeah. Either way, I think Patty is such a perfect person to do it because what she's shown yeah. with Wonder Woman is she's not afraid of kind of like this kind of genuine wholesomeness in terms of her films, which is so frowned upon totally. these days. And you know, so going back to like Donner's Superman, and it's really needed and it's really necessary. And yeah. no matter when this takes place, whether it's post tross or if it somehow was before the Force Awakens, I'm glad that we have her specific voice because she's she's shown not just her passion but her tact in terms of director and in terms of performance and you know her eye in terms of what you see on screen. And, um, and if we have like, you know, the acolytes and these other things going on on television, and I don't know what Taika's will be, um, I think she's that right person to do it. And to yeah. hopefully not, again, I think she's going to do it and be unabashedly just upfront about it. And that's okay. You know, and I think with a lot of these, especially with the most recent Star Wars film, you, you can't make what you think people want to see. You have to make mm-hmm. what you want to do. And I think Patty has done that with both Wonder Woman films. And, um, and she deserves it, you know, for, you know, how long she's been doing this and in the game and she should have had it done sooner. And so that's the one thing that I look forward to this and that I hope that they can see with both her and with Taika, who's also unabashedly very upfront about, you know, you know, his ideas and his values with what he puts on screen. I think that's important to put that on there, that these two people who are strong in their sensibility of that drum that they, you know, you know, march to the beat to. And that's the one thing yeah. that I can hope for. And it, I mean, it's the same for me as an artist. I want to do what I can, and I hope that it resonates when, with someone else. But I want to make sure that I have that stability in my belief. And I believe with a lot of these people who have been tapped to do that, they have. And same with, you know, like the Mandalorian as well, like having, you know, Rick behind them camera for this one i don't know who's doing the finale i'm curious so we'll get into that but um yeah. same on that end too yeah totally i i think i it's it's so tough because we have so such little information i mean literally what i read is is about it um yeah. but i my we get into speculation territory and then we get into what we want to see and that that ends up setting us up for for uh dashed <laughs> hopes and dreams but i think I think what could be a cool story with the information that they've given us would be something that takes place after Rise of Skywalker. Uh, the galaxy is in a, a chaotic place because there is no... Look, at the end of Return of the Jedi, 
Mon Mothma and Leia and the the uh, the the leadership of the rebellion, uh, which is actually the alliance to restore the republic, right? Like the rebellion is the is the the slang term that that got picked up along the way, and was actually a part of the empire's like uh, propaganda campaign uh, to brand them as terrorists. It's like, oh, we've got the rebel scum, right? Um, but it's actually the alliance to restore the republic. There is no alliance to restore the republic in in uh, the sequel trilogy era. You have the resistance, which is which was Leia breaking off from the new republic and saying like you like the bureaucracy is moving too slow. You guys aren't doing anything about this threat. I'm gonna go do something myself. And she's kind of going rogue there. Uh, and so the resistance is a purely military organization. Not to mention the fact that their entire leadership was wiped out in the Last Jedi, meaning that any of like the wisdom and like sort of like the their the long uh, uh, tail of wisdom that the Resistance had is gone, and the New Republic, like the seat of power, is gone, and the First Order is seemingly gone. There might be a remnant, right? But it's seemingly gone at the end of Rise of Skywalker. So all you have are local governments and power vacuums. And to me, that's a really Mm -hmm. interesting place to play with um, a group of new heroes that fly X-Wings, right? Mm -hmm. And so what I would love to see is a group of like 20-somethings on some planet. Maybe we go back to Coruscant. Maybe we go back to Corellia, whatever. Like we go somewhere that is like a, a, a somewhat familiar, somewhat civilized uh, planet system uh, and uh, and they come across rogue squadrons basically like mothballed x-wings it's like they, like there's no military anymore there's no there's the resistance out there and it's like like there are rumors that there's that that people are putting things together to try and form a galactic government right but like it's impossible without being able to to fight back against pirates and whatever right and that you you find like this group of young kids essentially find rogue squadrons old gear and take up the mantle and that like you basically end the movie with wedge antilles showing up and being like like i've heard a lot about you you know, like like they save their their planet or their system or whatever from bad guys, whoever the threat is. And Wedge shows up and is like, "Are you guys ready to to join the big leagues?" Sort of thing, um, and that that can lead into future stories, right? So that that's that is what I would love to see because that gives you the ability to sort of bring together a ragtag group and you get the the camaraderie and the the friendship that's important in Rogue Squadron. Um, Because it's not going to be an adaptation of anything. That's the other piece that we know. It's not an adaptation of the games or of any of the books, but it's going to draw inspiration from those things. Um, The very fact that Patty Jenkins mentioned the video games in that, like when she was talking about that, when they made those, those comments of like, it's not inspired, it's not based on, but it is inspired by these things tells me that like, she knows what she's doing. Like, like this is, this is, this is going to be for like true Rogue Squadron fans. And I count myself among those because uh, the Rogue Squadron video games are my favorite Star Wars video games. Um, so mm-hmm. this is, I think that this is going to very much be what, what a lot of Star Wars fans have been asking for for a long time. 
Um, uh, but but it's also going to disappoint a lot of people because it's not going to be the rogue squadron that everybody remembers from the books um, or even from the movies slash video games. So, uh, you know, it, it's going to, it's going to kind of be its own thing, but, um, but I'm, it, I'm, I'm the most excited for this out of anything, yeah. um, any of the new announcements, obviously Obi-Wan Kenobi is at the top of my list. Uh, but, uh, but we kind of, we, we the the shine has kind of worn off of that one a little bit at this point it's now just like can they just please start making this show please because i want to see it um because it just kept keeps getting kicked down right uh, just, the can yeah. just keeps getting kicked on down the line but i yeah. i yeah i, I mean that, that's kind of where i'm at rogue squadron like i i'm not a video game person this is too mm. sensitive in my household and so i know very little so for me, um, you know, kind of going in like tabula rasa, like blank slate will be yeah. a different perspective. And I'm, you know, I prefer more of the force type things. So that's why the acolyte is, um, you know, at the top of my list. But at the same time, like on Rebels, my favorite person was Hera. And so I think if yeah. they can do something where you have, a, like you said, a mix of a lot of different people that are involved yeah. and with Patty at the helm, like I said, being just so organically and unabashedly her that's why she was chosen and i'm glad if uh yeah if we don't see hera in rogue squadron i think that's a big mistake (laughs) i think that hera is is a perfect character to show up in that story Um, back you know and this time get a legitimate trailer and all of these (laughs) let's just be real he made rogue one (laughs) so yeah he is the best part of Rogue One. I won't disagree with you on that. <laughs> I, I I have feelings on Rogue One, but we don't need to get into that. That's let's, another uh, let's get, yeah, that's a whole episode. Say, uh, that's what I posted today, as I always think of K2SO saying climb, just because that's been my whole year, essentially. And um, and it kind of goes yeah. into the Mandalorian as well. I mean, you can take that physically climbing, metaphorically, whatever, and we're all continually doing it this year and our characters are doing it as well. And I know we're about to talk about it quite a bit. Yeah, let's, ju- let's jump into it. Cause this is a good episode. I really want, I, I'm, I'm, I'm champing at the bit to talk about okay. some of my films. I uh, chapter 15, the believer uh, directed by Rick Famuyiwa and written by Rick Famuyiwa. This is, uh, I, it's funny because every other episode has been written by John Favreau, except for the Ahsoka episode. Uh, the Jedi, which was written and directed by Dave, and then this episode, which is written and directed by Rick. So, but he wrote um, uh, Chapter Six last year, so not completely yeah. out of whack. And this was complete. No, no. Wick. I mean, the with, the thing with Rick is he has just done each thing has been so comparatively different, and he yeah. just blows me away. I just I want him to have a film. I want him to have a series. He deserves it, and I just love hearing him talk. Totally. Oh, 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 Rick. Uh, here, I'll jump into the recap here. Okay. Uh, on the planet Carthon, Miggs Mayfeld is hard at work dismantling scrapped Imperial ships in a New Republic prison camp when a security droid approaches and informs that he is being transferred into the custody of Marshal Kara Dune. Kara leads him to Slave One parked nearby where they join up with Boba Fett, Fennec Shand, and Din Djarin. Din tells Mayfeld that they need... Uh, they need him on a mission against the empire. Although Mig's days in the empire are behind him, he is still familiar with Imperial clearances and protocols. 
the crew board slave one and Mayfeld reluctantly follows them. I, this all happens really fast, by the way. <laughs> like, yeah, it does. You know, this is it does. where you could have taken 20 minutes to do it and they do it in two. <laughs> I'm impressed. Yeah. Um, I have to, I have to, to, to address something that I said on last week's episode. Yeah. I staked my reputation on the fact that we would come back to, I uh, to, to Din, I uh, in the, in the passenger seat, basically like, like sitting behind uh, Boba and Fennec, I mm-hmm. uh, occupying essentially the position that, that Grogu did on, on the Razor Crest, looking mm-hmm. at the, looking at the knob. Um, yeah. I thought that like they had set that up because every episode, almost every episode this season started with Din and Grogu in the cockpit of the Razor Crest. Mm-hmm. And it felt like they were developing an intentional pattern in order to get yeah. us to that point. Now I am going to admit that I was wrong with the caveat that we have one episode left and that we may okay. still see that scene. We, the fact yeah. that we didn't see Grogu at all in this episode, I think I might, wow. might it might connect it to why we didn't get that scene because they might use it at the beginning of this final episode in order to reconnect us with that at the beginning of the story to just be like, here we go. Um, gotcha. But uh, that said, I, I, a very interesting opening to the episode, very different from anything else that we've gotten previously. Um, really like starting with, and I, I think the logical reason is that they wanted that reveal of Din. Uh, they wanted Migs to have that moment where he's like, oh, he sees Boba and he's like, oh, sorry, I thought you were this other guy. Yeah. And then Din comes down the ramp and he's Almost like, oh, hey, uh, you know, yeah. like you could play that on like Friends or something, pick any sitcom. And of course, this is a drama. Yeah. It still works. But and I think absolutely. I mean, and as you mentioned before, we're seeing more of these various points of view. So having Kara, you know, having Bo-Katan and now having um, uh, Mayfield. I don't know. I'm going to try to be uh, consistent. I'm just going to say Mayfield. For some reason, I can say that better than Mix, um, you know, in terms of it, what we're seeing and everything. And I think it also just allowed us to hop in into the episode much quicker as yeah. well, doing this medius rest of, okay, he's, he's here and he's doing his bit. And then they allow the other part to land or even see Din. And it's like, ah, okay. Yeah, totally. Uh, you want to continue with the next paragraph? Yes, which really quick, by the way, I will say I um, I made a little joke on Twitter and I said that I watched this episode as Lucasfilm intended, which was on my phone in the Target parking lot of Atlantic Station, which is like <laughs> in downtown Atlanta. Um, I was the driver for a friend of mine and she was at an appointment. So it was hilarious because I, <laughs> I didn't realize that that would like take off. But this is the first episode I had to watch on my phone and I was kind of bummed. But, you know, I'm still sitting there like riveted and you know so it 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 still does its bit and um so i you know thank you target at atlantic station for letting me sit there for 37 minutes to uh watch um this really great episode on communal healing which i'll talk about later but okay aboard slave one din reveals that moff gideon has taken the child and they need mayfield's help to locate his cruiser Meg says that in order to do this, he needs to access an internal Imperial terminal, and he thinks there's one on the planet Morak. Din doesn't think there's anything there, but Mayfield is confident that the planet is home to a secret Imperial mining operation. Din relays the information to Boba, and the ship takes off into space. I can't believe that's 
I still can't believe Boba Fett is bad. So I, I know I wasn't here for the last episode, but I had such catharsis yeah. watching Boba Fett beat the out of stormtroopers with his gaffy stick. I mean, for my whole year, that's just been what I've been doing. So to now just have them on like this little trip to go access an internal Imperial terminal, it just is wild. Totally. Um, yeah, I, I really appreciated uh, Boba's uh, new paint job. Yeah. <laughs> He's like Sabine. He did that like really quick. Like, does he just keep yeah. that like stashed in there? You know. My favorite thing, and I tweeted about this, is that Boba finished repainting his armor, looked at it, and went, "No, this is too clean. This is too clean," and scuffed it up a little bit. He added some weathering. I, uh, I, uh, he, he, he did what every good cosplayer does and goes, yeah, "Oh man, you can really see the seams if I if I leave it this way. I'm just gonna, I'm gonna." let's add some battle damage and then nobody right. will notice how you have a rep to protect. Yeah. Yeah. But I do uh, think this episode is almost kind of very rogue one ish again, and that they're having to access this terminal and do like a lot of convoluted stuff to get this yeah. information that they need. And of course, by doing that, you get to have these very emotional moments that, you know, later in the episode felt like something you would see on game of Thrones. And it's all because totally. of something that just feels, just really random to uh but also it, it makes more sense i think in terms of what's going on it doesn't have to be these grandiose things that are leading up to all these reveals and all these circumstances it's kind of like the little moments when you're remembering people that stick with you these are these little things that are adding up for din in terms of this search for grogu and what he's willing to do and who is coming into his orbit on it and now that orbit includes mayfeld which is really surprising. Yeah, totally. Uh, here, I'll continue. Uh, okay. When they arrive at Morak, Boba scans the planet and brings up a hollow map of a refinery where the Empire is processing volatile explosive Rhydonium. He also details the Imperial security forces and anti-aircraft cannons guarding the base. Um, I, I'm going to bring up one criticism of this episode that I have. Uh, we established that it's Rhydonium, which we've seen in both Clone Wars and Star Wars Rebels. Rhydonium explodes in this really like brilliant multicolored explosion. Uh, and in this episode, Rhydonium is just a regular old explosion. And I think that that was a real, it was a real bummer for me when that stuff started blowing up and they were just red yeah, explosions. The best. What episodes, because I'm totally blanking, of Rebels and Clone Wars was it in? The Clone Wars episode was the one, I believe it's the end of the droid arc. Um, oh, okay. Where, where, the, where the Separatists have stolen the Republic cruiser and they, okay. they, um, like they set it adrift to smash into the space station. Okay. And they blow it up just at the last second. And when it explodes, the explosion is the most amazing part of that whole arc. Okay. Um, and because it just like the technical animation that they did on that was so oh, yeah. unbelievable. And especially by uh, that show, because that's like season five. Yeah. They were just totally in yeah. their game. Okay. Yeah. And then, and then it. Yeah. On Rebels. Yeah. It, it pops up in Rebels. Uh, um do you remember when when Hera and Sabine go to that like asteroid? It's not an asteroid; oh. it's actually like a planet that's been destroyed, mm -hmm. right? Um, the 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 barrels, the red barrels in that are filled okay. with rhydonium. Yeah, so we actually we go we go there twice because we go there that time and then we go again at the end of the season 
with um uh, uh with Ezra and uh and Kanan. Um because okay. that's the one that's it's the same location where Ezra uses the force to basically control the big uh uh oh what what were they called? They're not Minoc. It's because Minoc is. Oh yeah, yeah, the, the, I, yeah, and I can't think. Where's Jonah Marie? She would know. Yeah, um, she would know absolutely. Yeah, I know exactly. Yeah, what they're you're talking about. They're like the the they're they're kind of like bats on ground, <laughs> right? I, I I need to um, do especially of season one of a Rebels of a rewatch. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Got it. Maybe Fear Knock. I think they might be called Fear Knocks, but um, okay. uh, yeah. So we we see it in those two, and actually. The symbol that's on the Rhydonium canisters, the barrels in Star Wars Rebels, is on the side of the tanks in this episode. Okay. So they were paying attention. I yeah. think that it was just one of those things of like this looks really good in animation, and maybe it didn't look good. They didn't. They they just wanted to stick with. There's a very like um, like a like kind of apocalypse now <laughs> sort of. Mm-hmm. I a uh, very Vietnam uh, uh, war movie kind of aesthetic in this episode and i think they wanted those brilliant red orange explosions yeah uh, the, the red orange black explosions which um which i totally get like it's it's such a it's such a stupid like uh it's the sort of thing that i make fun of people on twitter for um so i don't actually care it's just one of those things where i like i really remember rhydonium having this like j- just because it looked so good in that episode of clone wars yeah um, that it's like, oh man, what a bummer! What 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 a what a missed opportunity from my perspective, but right. uh, nobody else cared. So hey, but now I mean, you've really added, you know, because I've been rewatching. Actually, I was rewatching um, R two Come Home, which is the one with Boba, you know, where you know he sets the trap for Mace with uh, Jango's yeah. helmet. And so it was funny that I I just decided to put that one on right after the last episode. And, um, you know, and I also just wanted to watch R2, like, drop grenades on everyone, because that's fabulous. But, I mean, it really, you know, the one thing that I've been saying is, is I hope that, you know, with everything that's been on The Mandalorian, with Bo-Katan and Ahsoka and all of this, to go watch the animation, because it is just phenomenal storytelling. And Clone Wars gets, I mean, it gets dark, but, um, you know, for Rebels, that would be a great show for kids. And I really do hope, you know, that people take the time to do it because, I mean, you know, George worked on the Clone Wars. And then, you know, of course, Rebels was in many ways a sequel to that. So, I mean, now just in you mentioning the Rhydonium again, that was something, you know, that I had forgotten. And so even for me, I'm like, I got to go back and do this. And I'm just so glad that I'm able to do that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, totally. So am I, okay, so Slave One descends into the planet's atmosphere. The group watch from a high ridge as an Imperial juggernaut transport loaded with Bridonium drives along a dirt road leading to the refinery. They come up with a plan to hijack one of the transports and enter the base where Mayfeld can can access the terminal. Mayfeld. Kara doesn't trust him to go in alone, fearing he might betray them to the Empire. But she, Fennec, and Boba are all wanted by or familiar to the Imperials and might be recognized. Waka waka with Boba. Um, <laughs> Din says he'll go. He won't wear his armor, which would give him away, but also won't show his face. So this is where he can have his cake and eat it too. Yeah. And I was like, uh, he's gonna. They're gonna do something. He's gonna put on a helmet what are we going to see? And I figured we would not see his face at this point. So, um, you know, he's, I mean, he's good at doing it, you know? Yeah. 
I I love that Boba has had two of the funniest lines in the season. I the last episode where he's like, uh, I, "Well, I was aiming for the other one," which is right. a good so, a, 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 a good rim shot joke. Uh, and so was this. It's like, ah, oh, they might recognize me. Uh, yeah, it's good stuff. And they're both um, very kind of throwaway lines too. Like, and that's why they land well. Though I do wonder with the last episode, like, no, you would want to hit the one that's higher. So it runs into the lower one, but they're going with the Coburn line from Magnificent Seven, where uh, Britt yeah. was like, "I was aiming for the horse" or something like that. Um, they, I, I do yeah. love how much the show loves the Magnificent Seven and a lot of the westerns, um, and so to, to see that continue on with this was really great. But yeah, so they, Din and uh, Mayfeld getting to do their little, their little. Yeah, I mean, like it's really it's. It's the it's it's a bit of an odd couple pairing, right? It's like these yeah. are the last two out of all out of the group of them. This is the last two characters that you want to stick by themselves in this uh, in this yeah. tank. But uh, but Din's willing to do just about anything uh, yeah, uh, to complete this mission. As we find out later, you know, yeah, yeah. with what Mayfield says, you know, what are you going to keep sacrificing? You know, yeah, and I I. I love the simplicity of the plot of this episode because the plot of it is not important. And it's like, it's like, I've seen a few people make comments about mostly jokes, but a few people make comments about, um, uh, about the, the Imperial security system doesn't need a specific face, just any face. It is just any right, face. Will right. do. I, in and order to access the terminal. Or they're not new Republic. We're okay. <laughs> yeah. And I, I, but it's like, but who cares? Like it's, this is just a silly Star Wars thing. Yeah. And it's just to get him to take the helmet off. Right. Yeah. Right. I mean, you have Han saying, you know, everything's great. How are you? So it it continually just, you run with it. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a, but, but it's all just to set up this dynamic with, with Migs and Din um, and, and to, I, really probe further now that he's met Boba, now that he's spent some time with that character to, to go back to uh, uh, the third episode of the season with, with, uh, with Bo-Katan and really start to like probe. What is the way, what does that mean? Right. And this is, this is the great thing of uh, like, it's, it's because uh, the, the children of the watch are a cult, uh, a, a fanatic religious sect um there are a lot of parallels to that in in our world right that we can right. look at and this is one of those moments where it's like you have to have a character like migs come in who doesn't have an allegiance to any of that stuff uh basically you have to have the atheist come in and question the beliefs of the believer uh and that's to me where the title like i there's been a lot of debate about who's the believer who's the believer there's there it's as with all the great titles in this show, it's got multiple levels and there are actually, I think three believers in it. There's Miggs, uh, who his belief is in nothing. Uh, you've got Dan who is there, but I'll talk about it later. Okay. <laughs> about why. I, I, uh, well, I'm okay. Yeah. We'll, we'll get into it, but, uh, you've got Dan who, who obviously is, has his belief in the way of the Mandalore. And then you've got, uh, the, the Imperial officer, who believes in the empire, right? All three of them are believers, but believers in, in different ways. Um, and I, I, the, the whole point of this is 
to force Din to confront that reality of like, hey, you actually are a part of a very weird cult uh, and taking off your helmet isn't a big deal. Um, especially when it comes like, like what's more important, your, your belief structure or your family, right? Like it's, yeah. it's essentially, it's, it's no different than um, someone who's been raised in like a very strict uh, religious upbringing. I, uh, coming to to discover something about themselves maybe they're gay maybe i i you know like they they have friends who are whatever and then having to question that and migs is the perfect character like i said to to speak what din is thinking right like not to necessarily tell him that he's wrong but just to like be the Jiminy Cricket, like a very, a very odd Jiminy Cricket on his shoulder saying like, Hey man, you got some wrong headed ideas going on right now. And I, uh, it's actually okay. It's actually okay to be questioning this stuff because Bo-Katan and Boba have put him in the position to question it, but neither one of them is going to like Bo-Katan is going to tell him like, Hey, you like, I'm a part of this other sect of this religion and yours is wrong right and then you've got boba who's like i my my lineage turned its back on that religion right like like somebody who walked away from it and and continues their path so like these are examples to him of like ways to be a mandalorian without being that kind of mandalorian but neither one of those is actually going to like force him to confront it in the way that migs does um and so to me it's like it's just this perfect pairing of these two characters um i'll talk more about the pair of din and migs yeah. later and why i, I like them so we're also uh on a time crunch too but yeah. um uh i can get into a little more later but yeah migs is i think the perfect objective party and when i say objective i don't mean that he's right but i mean objective in terms of compared to din um even yeah. in many ways kind of like Bo is kind of subjective in her own way and so is boba and this whole thing of is, and, I, and I've been talking since last year when I was on Mandalorian, you know, that the Mandalorian is about healing and it's about healing from trauma specifically. And you are confronted with a lot of, you know, options and choices when you're going through that process. And you have to just kind of be, it's hard to be openly available, but also, you know, protecting yourself in that process. Um, but Migs being kind of the person that he is where he just talks in some ways that's needed because it's just it's very unfiltered and it he puts it there and it's not that he's necessarily asking for a deep discussion but just by like having it hang it then allows that to kind of permeate through and we see of course how it affects den and then i'll i'll get more of course into the conversation later because that's like the crescendo of it all of course totally uh here let, let me continue we we'll oh, yeah. get into the action, so we'll, we'll go through this pretty I quick. I know it's like we have the whole little, like, yeah, the the chase, and I'm like, not that there's much to it, but... Uh, Din, Kara, and Migs drop uh, stealthily onto the next passenger passing transport. Kara enters the cockpit and knocks the drivers unconscious. Uh, a, a scene that I would love to cheer for, but I will just remind you here that uh, trans lives matter, uh, trans rights are human rights. Uh, all of that as we continue uh, and and Jaren and Mayfeld uh, change into the tank troopers uniforms 
They take over the controls and continue on route on the route to the base, while Kara and Fennec monitor their pro- progress from the ridge, and Boba stands by to extract them in Slave One. I love it. Like we just have such a clear. I love it when objectives are clear because it means that we don't have to worry about exposition or people telling us what needs to happen next. We know like this is like a, a almost like a heist uh, in a way where it's like, okay, we know where everybody's supposed to be, what they're supposed to be doing. Now we can focus on characters. Uh, and this is where, where they have their great back and forth conversation um, yeah. about uh, what's the, what's the, where's the line? Are you know, are you not allowed to take the helmet off or are you not allowed to show your face? Cause right. those are two very different things. Right. And uh, this is, this is the moment where Migs started to grow on me. And I was like, that's why we brought him back. This is why right. it's Migs and not somebody else. Um, well, he's the yeah, first and, you would least expect, I think, to have yeah. this um, confrontation. Yeah. I say confrontation, not that it's, you know, there's a big to-do that happens, but confrontation of terms, it is confrontational when you are being presented with this, this information. And yeah. um, so I'll just, I'll read really quick. As Den and Mayfield continue on their route, they come across the burnt wreckage of some other transports along the road, seemingly destroyed by the volatile Rhydonium. They also drive through a small village, and Megs points out that these people see no difference between the Empire and the New Republic. I don't like, you know, when people were on Tatooine, and it was just like, oh, you're just trying to live day by day. Um, They're just innocents being ruled by whoever is in power and being caught in the middle of their conflicts. He also questions Din's own code of ethics and points out that the two of them aren't so different, as they both have had their lines that they aren't willing to cross until it becomes necessary. And... This is such an, you know, I always think about this too in my storytelling, you know, and we were just talking about this before, how there are different people, you know, um, you know, who fight different battles. And what I love about this is, is, you know, you have right here, their innocence being ruled by whoever is in power and caught in the middle. And I think when you have these kind of stories, it's so important to see that perspective. And it's so important to see someone maybe like Din or somebody who's on Coruscant who's been in the middle and just knows kind of every which way and out what's going on. Because it's when you put the two of them together that you're able to say, this is what we need to do to enact change. You know, people yeah. have to be willing to want to do it. And then you have to have other people with the knowledge of what is going on, you know, in your world to be able to do that. And so as we see later, I think this is, in many ways, this is a front, I think, for Mayfeld, you know, this kind of nihilistic approach. You know, he is dealing with his own trauma as well. And we're going to see that by each of them being more vulnerable in what they have, they're allowing what I called earlier, this communal healing of what they have. And um, it was really nice, you know, again, this scene and then the one at the table reminded me so much more of like something on Game of Thrones where people are just sitting and talking. And a lot of the times you have one person like, Megs, who just doesn't shut up, and then you have somebody like um, Din, you know, Din may be the hound, who just says, like, a couple of words, and then you have Arya, who's just, like, diarrhea of the mouth, but when it's engaging, and when you have these, um, these themes that so resonate with us as people, but putting them in this, you know, this mode that's not necessarily the same, it is, but it isn't, this is how they they affect us deeply. And that's why myth is so important. It's why this type of storytelling is so important. And again, that's why Mayfeld became that perfect person for Din in a way that wasn't expected. 
you know, I think a lot of the times you you end up being more openly emotionally available with people that maybe you're not planning to because you don't necessarily believe that there's going to be um, a judgment. And so the way that he knows Kara or, you know, even a little bit more with Fennec and Boba, I can see why he's just going to sit and be more receptive to Mayfeld. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and Mayfeld, I think he's been wanting to get this off his chest for a while, to be honest. And, um, you know, to just, you know, the last time they were in contact, you know, that was to go do the the breakout bit. And Din had a very specific idea of what he thought Mayfeld was. And I think Mayfeld just played along with it. He's like, okay, you think I'm the bad guy? I'm going to do it. But now at this point, stakes have changed. And so there is much more leveling that is happening, at least on Mayfeld's side. And then as that happens, that allows Din to do the same. And it's really great. And it's something that Star Wars, I think, excels at. And this kind of storytelling just in general when it's done right. And it's done, you know, right in this episode. Yeah, I think I think we also saw Mayfeld in in the prisoner at at sort of like the 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 peak of a villain arc, um, and I think that like it, like that's really clear by who he was associating himself with. Um, like those like- those other characters were a reflection of where he thought he was in the galaxy, and what? I think that being taken out by Dan. Yeah, where he thought he should be. Uh, I, and, and I think that getting taken out by Din, getting put in the prison, all of that, like it broke him down, right? And and then this this is sort of, I, I mean, this becomes a redemption story for him, right? So this is this is his opportunity at it. And it's not, we're not focused on it because it's not his story. But I do think like this, it does lead the way into him becoming a hero um, and coming away from that, that, uh, that villain's path that he was on into uh, i i think i think that we will see this character on ranches of the new republic um oh yeah that's I, left I, I think that this is just a setup Absolutely. so i do think yeah. that he played the villain because he thought that that's what people believed him to be to be honest especially since he was totally. you know former imperial and whatnot and so when he has this point now yeah. where it's like hey i need you to help me do this to get my kid it's like oh okay you're entrusting me with something a little more this time and that's where he's just oh. like, I'm going to lay it out on the line for you. And of course, you know, just in that Dilber fashion, um, he's able to do it. Yeah, absolutely. Before, uh, well, here, I'll continue. Then they get attacked. <laughs> yeah, I'll continue here. Uh, over the comm, uh, Jaren and Mayfeld hear distress calls from the transports ahead of them, followed by massive explosions. As they drive past the burning wreckage, a group of pirates pulls up behind them on a speeder. Din climbs to the top of the juggernaut to repel the attackers. His stolen Imperial blaster quickly runs out of ammo, <laughs> so he has to fight the pirates hand-to-hand and keep them from blowing up the Rhydonium canisters with their thermal detonators. Uh, he fights off several waves of enemies, destroying their speeders with their own explosives as Mayfeld struggles to control the juggernaut and keep the Rhydonium stable. There's a lot of uh, there's a lot of solo vibes in here. I, I, both in terms yeah. of the the uh, the the coaxium and then also yeah. the the train fight, so uh, I like so that like, callback. And you know the pirates. I mean, I don't think they're connected to the villagers, but I mean, it definitely you know obviously they're against the empire. So it's kind of that whole yeah. place too in terms of they're not you know because again they don't take the Rhydonium for themselves; they blow it up. Um, I mean, they're yeah. like, we want you gone. So um, that was a really 
I was a little confused at first. I was like, wait, who, what, what's going on? But um, I mean, it would make sense too that on this planet, you're going to have differing factions as well, you know, going for the resources that you have and, and whatnot. So that was, and I think that was new species too that we saw as well, wasn't it? Um, I think so. Yeah, and I can't, somebody mentioned, I don't know if it was like Alan Stephanie on one of his reviews. I wish I could remember what it was, but that was also fun to see because I always love when Star Wars, and especially when this show, they've been so great in having so many different alien creatures and uh, like Frog Lady, the greatest of all time. So um, <laughs> that's always just been yeah. a joy for me to see them really using kind of those practical effects to, you know, shape more of the world that we have. Totally. I, go ahead and continue. Okay, as the juggernaut nears the Imperial refinery, a pair of TIE fighters fly in and blast the remaining pirate speeders, and squads of stormtroopers gun down the last of the attackers. The troopers cheer and salute as the juggernaut rolls by, and Din and Mayfield receive a hero's welcome when they disembark inside the base. Oh my gosh, being happy for the Empire. Yep. Uh, yeah, they really, they really turned it on us, and uh, yeah, I mean, even like the music plays into it. It's so good the way that yeah. they just, they just play with our emotions that way. And it's, I mean, and again, we're gonna see it more on the inside, you know, and especially you know, learning Mayfield's story too. You know, these soldiers. I mean, it becomes hard too because you could take it in terms of like our own bit, like you know, okay, well, were you a Nazi just because that's what you had to do, or was it, you know, it, it becomes very gray and. You know, I thought this episode did a nice job of showing a lot of that gray in terms of the imperial like aspect to it, and also just like how you know, just ordinary certain bits of it were too. Like they're sitting down to have lunch in the cafeteria. I know we're about to get there, but just I mean, very ordinary, yeah. and that of course then makes Mayfield's story all the more affecting. Yeah, totally. Um... Yeah, let, let me continue. Let's get into that stuff. Uh, oh, no. Mayfeld leads Din, sorry, to the officer's mess hall, where he believes the data terminal will be located. He finds the terminal, but stops short of approaching it when he notices Valen Hess, a former superior officer of his, seated nearby. Mayfeld is afraid he'll be recognized, so Din says he'll use the terminal instead, but Miggs tells him that the terminal requires a facial scan. I. Mm. Uh, uh, sorry, it's, uh, in order to work. Sorry, I got a little little turn around there. Uh, Dan <laughs> approaches the terminal anyway and removes his helmet so it can scan his face successfully. He inserts a data stick and downloads schematics and coordinates to Moff Gideon's cruiser. But before he can leave, he is stopped by Valen Hess, who has been watching him from nearby. Hess asks for his TK number, and Mayfeld quickly steps in with a with a cover story, saying that Din is his commanding officer and is hard of hearing. Hess recognizes them as the tank troopers who deliver the Rhydonium shipment and invites them to have a drink. The tension in this scene is so good because the oh, second yeah. that he takes off his helmet, you're like, yeah. hurry up, hurry up, hurry up, hurry up, hurry up. Yeah. I, yes, yeah, and it's, I, his face because he's Pedro Pascal, but like for the love of God, put it back on. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and yeah, I, I, I mean, like this actor that they got to play Valen Hess. I, ah, uh, Richard. They went ri Richard Blake, I think. I looked it up, and apparently he's Joe Chill in Batman Begins. Oh, okay, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah he, he totally is. In um, 
before they got the other Night King, he was the Night King, at least in the episode of Game of Thrones, Hard Home, where there is a gif of the Night King doing like a little shoulder shimmy type thing, and that's gotcha. him too. <laughs> so I was like, wow, they got like this perfect guy for this he, material. I, he he drips with uh, uh, malicious intent. Yeah. I, I, and it's so perfect because that's exactly what you need because we we need to hate this guy as quickly as possible. Yes. Um, in order for Migs to stay uh, heroic in his actions. So, right. um, yeah, I, I, I think they did such a good job with this. I mean, like they, they're just building the tension um, and, and getting us ready for what's coming. And having this be, because I remember when I talked about it, you know, last season on Fandalorians, thinking it would be this heroic thing that Din would do, be kind of very Aon, you know, in the Witch King. And we learned with this show that's not going to happen. And again, like I said, these little things that you remember in terms of people, it's the little steps in terms of this process yeah. as well. And so the fact that he did it like this, which must just be utterly more mortifying, um, I'm so glad that they went that route. And, you know, for me as a storyteller, that that wasn't what I was expecting. And I'm so much more appreciative of that, especially in my yeah. own journey, which I'll get on in the next bit because of, I'm so glad I have this bit, <laughs> the next one, um, because of what happens. Yeah, yeah totally. Your- I mean, they, yeah, I, I I agree. Like they, they could have made it like a very heroic, triumphant moment for him right. to take off his helmet and, and reveal himself. Instead, they make it a moment of desperation. Um, and it sort of shows you uh, how far Din is willing to go to get right. Grogu back. What, what, right. And so now we know, like, like a lot of people have talked about it in this way. Like, this is really the moment where he goes from being responsible for Grogu to being his parent. Um, yeah. Because this is the sort of thing that you do as a parent that... I, that, that you, that, you know, you, you're really not willing to sort of push yourself that far under other circumstances, even for partners, sometimes it's hard. Mm -hmm. Um, but, but when it's for your kids and, and speaking as, as a dad, like there are things that you do, Look, here, here's a great example. Uh, I, I had a queasy stomach most of my life and could not deal with a lot of stuff. Um, when you have kids, you get over that real fast because you don't have a choice. You right. just don't. And, um, and, and it, this is very similar to that where it's like, this is very much one of those things where it's like Din could not imagine taking his helmet off um, in front of others. And, and here already in this episode, he's taken it off and swapped it for an Imperial helmet. And right. I, I, we actually, we, we kind of, we kind of glossed over it in the action sequence but there's a moment where they're fighting and um, he goes to use the armor to block what? the staff of, of one of the pirates and the armor shatters yeah. the whole, the shoulder pauldron and the, and the piece that's around his bicep just shatter like, like dust. And, um, and, and we get a bit of a moment. It's so brief, but we get a bit of a moment of disbelief on Din's part because he's been wearing this armor for so long that even his previous set protected him from almost anything. And right. the best scar that he's got that he's had since the third episode of the series has made him indestructible. Right. But in this moment he has to take the armor off and he and he relies on this other armor and and it shows him like you can't rely on armor. It 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 can only take you so far. 
right? Um, and right. and it is all building into this idea of like he's got to take the helmet off. Eventually, he's going to have to shed that indestructible skin because it doesn't just protect him. It also keeps him at a distance from everybody, including Grogu. Yeah. And that, that like that, yeah, that pauldron being shattered in that way was not an incidental piece of storytelling. It was a very important piece of storytelling. Um, right. And, uh, but it's very subtle. It's very much subtextual yeah, and right. under the surface. Um, but, but I loved it. it. It, and, and this just extends to that with, with taking the helmet off and the desperation and the fear in his eyes the whole time. Din is this intimidating character most of the time, but then here he takes his helmet off and he's like a deer in headlights. Um, <laughs> and, and, and utterly reliant on Miggs, this character that he previously had a lot of disdain for. Um, yeah. And didn't really have the respect for. And and in this moment, I, I I think a bond is forged between these two characters that that will forever go unspoken, but that is absolutely there. Right. Um, and I, I actually I I, I I saw a post today on Twitter about the character Spike from Buffy, and uh, right. and it actually got me thinking about how similar Spike is, because uh, it was this post about uh, like a, a couple of monologues that he has. Um, and I was like, man, that's so much like Miggs because it's like, here's like Spike's a very comical character. He's a villain that becomes a hero. Uh, and then I was like, man, Spike and Angel are so similar to Miggs and Din. They're in very different worlds. So like, like and very different sort of contexts. but really like the dynamics of the way that they play off of each other and the way that they're foils for one another, I think are really similar. And it makes me super excited for Migs in Rangers of the New Republic, if that's the path that they're going, um, right. and that's yeah, I, I, that. Spike is my favorite character from Buffy. So yeah, and we know if Go you ahead. know Spike, I mean, he started off as this very timid guy. You know, he's like reading his his poetry and whatnot. You know, like way back in the yeah. day, and he was turned. And so again, I think it was I'm going to be what you think I'm supposed to be, which is this vampire. Yep. And of course, I mean, he's yeah. the one who is like, I'm going to get my soul specifically, you know, because of what Buffy yeah. does to him. And, um, it's, and yeah, and it's, oh, yeah, I was, the I whole was, villain thing is a facade, right? It's all a front, just like Migs. It's so similar. I love it. <laughs> I do like that you mentioned in the last or in the third episode, you know, it's, it's a nice parallel that um, the same episode that Din gets this new Beskar armor, that's when he also decides to go back and get Grogu. Um, and yeah. you would think that, you know, this new Beskar armor would enable him more. And it ends up, of course, with Grogu here having the opposite effect and allowing him to, it, it's an interesting thing because I think he thought, you know, that it's like now I'm truly, you know, impenetrable in terms of everything, you know, by having this. And of course, we're, we're seeing that chip away literally as like what we've seen throughout the episode. So, um, yeah. I will, okay, here we go. The three men sit down at a table, and Hess asks what they should drink to. Mayfeld proposes a toast to Operation Cinder, which he took part in under Hess's command that cost the lives of thousands of civilians and Imperial troops alike on Vernon Khan. Valen is unremorseful and says that the dead are all heroes of the Empire, but Miggs argues that their families would disagree. Mayfeld grows increasingly uncomfortable as Hess describes the havoc they're going to create with the safely delivered Rhydonium which will make Vernon Khan pale by comparison. 
He says that while people may think they want freedom, they'll eventually realize what they want is order, and they'll welcome the return of imperial rule. With a sinister smile, Hess raises a toast to the empire, and Mayfeld raises his blaster and shoots him in the chest. Um, I was not expect. I could tell that it was escalating. I wasn't expecting him to do that. And so one I, I wanted to get to now was, and this was the first thing I thought about in both this episode and the one with Boba. Um, and it's something that I've been very adamant about this whole year in terms of grief and that people in terms of their trauma and in terms of their healing should not be shamed for being open. If you want to be private, that is absolutely your prerogative and you need to do what you feel is safe for you. But for those of us who are open about this, you know, there's a lot of uh, shame that is still thrown upon people of like, you know, this is dirty laundry, don't do this, whatnot. And it's when you have this communal aspect of vulnerability, of grief, of trauma, that you're able to, without even realizing it, you have these next steps. And in this episode, in Mayfield's little tank ride with Din, he's able to kind of put this idea of like, what's your line? It allows Din, Din later on to then take off the helmet. And then I think in doing so, by Din taking it off, that gives Mayfield the vulnerability and like, I mean, one might say like cojones, but I think just the gumption to go up and he goes to Hess, you know, like he was like, this guy's going to recognize me, but it doesn't matter. Din shows what he's willing mm -hmm. to do. And Mayfield now feels comfortable enough to go confront this man who has literally and figuratively done so much to him. And he's able to have this catharsis that he didn't realize he needed. And so this whole, this is what I call communal healing. By each person doing something, you have a domino effect. And so for me personally, just dealing with um, the amount of grief that I've had this year, dealing with the COVID scenario, this is so important to see. And it's it's so needed in our storytelling. And I was, it, it, the catharsis of seeing this play out, you know, it was almost like this, this validation of how important it is. And I'm really glad that Rick had this episode. I, Bill Burr would have been the last person that I would have thought to have this yeah. story. And again, that's why he had it. Um, and this was such a well done scene by all of the actors involved, by the writing in terms of everything that it was set up. And the fact that it's been done here, of course, gives us leeway into the finale where, you know, I do think at one point, Din is going to have a grandiose, I'm going to remove the mask because it's these little steps that continue mm -hmm add up but it's it's so important and you know when i talked about this show last year in terms of trauma i don't think i would have realized how much it would have ended up affecting my own life and it's been for me you know just um really amazing to see um because you you just again it, it's so easy to feel alone in these processes and i'm sure mm -hmm. Ben and i'm sure mayfield have both felt very alone in their own stories and it's by this communal aspect that we are able to heal and i'm i'm really glad that we got to see it and i'm really glad that i'm getting to talk about it right now with you so thank you <laughs> yeah well i mean thank you for sharing that like that's yeah. uh that's uh that's definitely a perspective that that's uh, uh that matters um in the context of this because because i do think that like you're right like I, these characters have so much trauma right and that's that's a lot of what what this is this story is about 
um, I, Din I, uh, with his flashbacks from last season and, and Grogu, what we learned about him this season. Mm-hmm. Um, they, carry, they carry this darkness with them. They, the only thing that's, that is going to be able to heal that, like they can't do it on their own, right? They, yeah. it, it has to be community. Um, and that's really like all of these characters, that's what it's about. And there's this great through line with Din that everywhere he goes, he interacts with these characters and we didn't see this from the, from the prisoner. And it's probably one of the reasons why I didn't connect with that episode last season. And now I have a much better feeling about it. Seeing where Mig's story goes is that like Din everywhere that he touches everywhere that he, that, that they land and then he leaves, he leaves it in a better place than he found it. And it's unintentional. He's not doing this on purpose, but he is an agent of healing in the galaxy uh, and in the context of star Wars, that means that he's an agent of the force, right. Of the light side, um, whether he knows it or not. And everything has been guiding him towards this path with Grogu. Uh, but, but the ultimate healing that has to take place is going to have to be his own. Right. Right. Um, and, we see more. We're seeing it, you know, I think. We're, yeah. We're seeing it's slow. Here. It's He's interacting because, with each yeah. person and we're finding each person, you know, this season has had, their own bits and you know they're kind of a moth to the flame with interacting with yeah. them but there's a reason for that and but it's it's the armor right like that's the thing is that as long as he's wearing the armor he can't be healed he can be this source for everybody else but he's protected not just from the bad stuff but also from the good stuff right. and so shedding I- the armor shedding that those scales that's what's going to be the thing that allows him to take that step and join the the community because right now he can't everybody else can everybody else is right. But it's really interesting that right now he's paired up with Boba and Fennec who are also separate from the community, but Boba has, has healed himself without his armor and then he gets his armor back. Right. Like, like when we see him at last week, like he's healed. And he has passed that healing on to Fennec and then they've put their armor back on after they're healed. So like there's, there's an interesting element there and what that's going to mean for Din's overall journey is that like, he's going to shed the armor, but eventually he will be able to put it back on. And when he puts it back on, right. He'll, he'll understand. Right. That's the important and, and, part. And I think yeah. with like with Boba and Fennec, I mean, um, I think they still have both of their things that they have to work through, but I think what's different is, is that they are cognizant of that. I think for a lot of the yeah. time, Din has been very uh, adamant, you know, maybe like, like we said, this is the way I don't need to deal yeah. with this. And now it's very much something that's right in front of him. And I do think he's going to have to put the armor on. And I think, you know, it becomes that it's not that he's not wearing it at all because you can't just base your whole identity on that either. It's how do you live with, you have to live with, you become comfortable with the discomfort. And so living in that skin of, I can wear this. And then when I take it off and that becomes your new way. And that's something for him. And I know I have this problem and I talk about it in therapy, like all the time, it is hard being uncomfortable. And, you know, this, this thing of, um, we talk about like dis-ease as well and how it can feel like disease. And we see that manifested in our like everyday culture as well. And that's something that you have to work through and it's really bitter work. 
at, that's to borrow from Avatar The Last Airbender. That's one of my favorite episode titles. Um, and so this is that process that he's, you know, the, the first thing is, is like, if you're in a 12 step program, you have to say, you know, I am an alcoholic or whatever it is. And so this is, I think he's made that point. And to now be, to now recognize that fact allows him to do this continual work that yeah. has just begun. Yeah, totally. Uh, cool. Let's, I, I'm cognizant of your time. So That's let's, okay. let's We're continue through. Now. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> yeah. I Mayfeld hands Dan his helmet and says he never saw his face. Mm. Uh, the two of them shoot the remaining officers and troopers in the mess hall and escape through a window as more uh, troopers come to investigate the commotion. Din and Miggs scale the outside of the building, making their way to the roof for extraction. Fennec and Kara take out the pursuing Imperials with sniper blasts as Boba swoops in on Slave One in the coolest moment that Slave One has ever had <laughs> in the entirety of Star Wars. And yes, cooler than Attack of the Clones. Uh, Jaren and Mayfeld leap from the roof, landing safely on the ship. Miggs grabs Boba's Tuscan cycler rifle and with a single well-placed shot detonates a Rhydonium canister and destroys the refinery as Slave One rises into the air. A pair of ties pursue the ship, but Boba easily dispatches them with a seismic charge. Uh, with a, that's a great callback to episode two. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there is a, there's sort of a, a question here of like Migs, does, does he really learn his lesson that the empire like because because his whole thing is like oh you know i the empire is uh, uh doing this stuff in order to keep order and you know like they're they're um uh all of the people sacrificed were sacrificed for the greater good as right. the empire sees it and then here he turns around he gets on the 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 ship and he takes the cycler rifle and he blows up the whole mining facility theoretically killing some good people right, right? right. Not, not just the empire is evil but as evidenced by migs himself imperials are not evil right, right. like not all imperials are evil um but how do you and we did that? see we did see people who look like they were just working in the mine right. <laughs> right that did not look like officers they didn't look like stormtroopers they looked like miners and right. so you know like but but it is a question of greater good and you know uh, the right. needs of the many outweigh yeah, the needs of the few sort of thing. Right. Yeah, they're in the war, you know. And I think that is, you know, he he said to Din, he's like, you got to do what you do to sleep at night. I mean, part of me hopes he is in the next show, just so that yeah. I would love to see, you know, because this is something that does not happen in Star Wars, and that's the magical A word, atonement. You know, yes. we may see redemption, which is where, yeah, okay, I saved, you know, Vader saves Luke from the Emperor, or, um, you know, you have the bit with Kylo, and actually, um, I mean, I guess maybe, I would say with the uh, Asajj Ventress stuff, we do get, that's probably the closest, I would say, because even with Callus on Rebels, yeah. it's very quick, and it's a bit quicker than what I would like. I would say Asajj is, you know, much more like what Zuko kind of does on um, Avatar The Last Airbender, which is, I think, totally. the most excellent atonement story there is. Um, and even then, it's a little... I would never have painted Zuko as a villain. Um, mm. But that's something where I would like to see that put in there. And I think Mayfeld is the apt character to do so. I mean, I really thought... I don't know if you did. I thought he was going to die at first because it's like, well, he did his good deed and now he's going to die so they don't have to deal with him again because that's just what happens so often in these stories. And then when he made it and they were like, okay, yeah. well, you know, oh, I guess that's the next thing. Well, let me read it really quick. 
Um, yeah, go for the it. group reunites away from the base. Mayfield prepares for Kara to take him back to prison, but she and Din agree that the prisoner died in the refinery explosion, and Miggs walks away a free man. Din confirms that he got the coordinates from Moff Gideon's ship, and Kara asks what their next move is. On the bridge of his cruiser, Moff Gideon receives a transmission from the Mandalorian. Echoing the Moff's own words from Navarro, Din says that Gideon has something that he wants, and that the child will soon be back in his possession, uh, which was a fabulous ending. Um, but yeah, I, I was, you know, that's one reason why I would like to see Bill Burr again, because I think that Megs would be an excellent way to really put in atonement and give it the time that it needs. And mm-hmm. um, and, I, and I do think he has a point of view. I mean, I think that the Empire really soured him and, you know, he did what he had to do. Could you agree with it or not? You know, that's, again, it's why I don't like to talk about politics because there are certain things that's like you have to make kind of sweeping assumptions or actions. You just have to do it. That's what you have to do and you have to live with it. And I think, you know, he did what he did and he was able to live with that. And um, and I do think, you know, if uh, Rangers of the New Republic is with, you know, Kara, that she's going to come back and find him because she, she liked what she saw and... I think she's willing to give him that opportunity. Um, so if she is, for me as the audience, I want to see him put in that work. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and 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 to me, it's like that's why that's why he is uh, on the other side of this, right? That was right. that was the whole purpose is that we bring this character out, and he's he he uh, he fits the bill uh, of a a, a a member of an elite team because he's a sharpshooter right and and we get we get that one moment uh well i guess we get two because we get the good quick draw when he kills uh hess but then we also get this moment with the cycler which like is it shoots slugs right like it shoots actual physical bullets it's different from a blaster and he picks it up and immediately knows exactly where to shoot and nails it with one shot like we show we get to see him use his superpower right um, and it also, it also gives us this great moment of, of him. I, cause later on he, he makes the comment, uh, I, where, when they're like, nice shot. And he's like, Oh, you like that? I was just getting something off my chest. Right. I, I believe. I mean, and, I, so, yeah, it's good. Cause, cause it is showing like he is, he's, I like that he is on a path, but he has not arrived. Right. Like, like we definitely made very good progress in this to go from a villain as we saw him last season, uh, or at least like with the facade of the villain last season right. to now yeah, he is I a hero. Just, I like right? that's because I would say like Gideon is your villain, but def- yeah, definitely an antagonist. Yeah. But I think he's the perfect person, especially with our real, uh, real world scenarios right now, you know, and especially seeing, you know, how, um, people with the privilege of Migs, you know, it's like, I, I want to see that work being done, you know, because so often yeah. people are allowed to fail upward and they're given, you know, that, um, you know, extension that other people are not. And I think that, you know, with what Bill showed us as a performer and kind of the nuance that he showed that mm-hmm. he, I think he could do it. And I think that that would be important in terms of the storyline. And like I said, Star Wars is really do that other than, Asajj's character, because again, Callus Callus went a little quick for me, but um, but yeah. I mean, so I, I I hope that something I can't believe that I would say that because I would just say last year I was like eh, I don't 
you know, whatever, Bill Burr, okay, he was all right, you know, and the fact that this yeah. year, um, to be able to just, you know, and that's where I can say to myself, okay, you know what, I misjudged the, you know, like you as a performer, and uh, you really impressed me, and so show us what you can do next, and yeah, if totally. that happens, and also he, apparently, he went to my alma mater, and I didn't know that, he went to Emerson College, and I don't know if I called him when I did phone-a-thon. So, Bill Burr, if I called you on a Sunday night at, like, 8 o'clock, I'm sorry. That's what I had to do for my, my school job. <laughs> and then uh, and then the ending, of course, you know, really. Den's final line, too. He, he means more to me than you know. And that's, I mean, I don't think he's just saying that to Gideon. He's saying that to himself. This is his, his statement. Hey, uh- I love, I love that that he uses that he he parrots that back to Gideon yeah. the whole thing, which is it's from the exact same moment in last season, penultimate yes. episode, right? <laughs> like it's it it's mirrored so perfectly, and um, it 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 communicates so much that a Din was listening when Gideon said that stuff, and he committed it to memory. Yeah, I I. And Gideon's look on his face is a look of recognition of like, uh, what, what hell have I wrought? You know, like, mm-hmm. like, because he knows, cause Gideon knows what he was saying when he said it. And now he's hearing it from Din and he's hearing it with double the conviction because when Gideon said it, Gideon said it as a very like matter of fact, uh, like, like you, you may as well just surrender now. Cause I'm going to kill you all. You didn't, they all survived. Um, and, and now that you've taken Grogu, you, you've, you've now brought hell to your own doorstep. Like Din is coming for you and he's not even afraid to call the shot. Like, mm-hmm. like, like Babe Ruth, uh, pointing that, that baseball bat to the sky. It's like, I I've heard a lot of people criticize it and say like, Oh, well now, now they know he's coming. And it's like, well, I think that Din has a plan. Um, I, I I would say that the dumber move was last week with Gideon blowing up the razor crest, which they could track. Right. So then they would know that he's coming. They would know exactly when he's coming and where he is. But, 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 they blew up the one advantage that they had over Din. And now Din doesn't need the surprise in that way. Like he's there, they're going to be on their toes. Um, and I think that what we're going to see is uh, uh, a, a very clever plan. Right. And he really, I'm sure Gideon is somebody who, you know, he's not used to that. Uh, you know, a lot yeah, of exactly. high ranking Imperials are just not used to that rebuttal. And um, yeah. so I think even though the element of surprise is taking away, it's that unnerving. And like I was just talking about de- before, you making Gideon live with the discomfort of he's coming. And yeah. that is so unsettling when you are just living with that day in and day out, waiting for something to happen. It eats at you, no matter yeah. you know, how on it you think you are or whatnot. It's it's difficult to deal with. And so, you know, Din doing this, you know, it, it puts... Gideon off guard and it also I think is another step for him in being like you know he means more to me and so for us as the audience we're just continuing on that that journey with him 
and it's yeah i i can't believe there's only one left i mean i can and i can't um but yeah i totally. i just i'm so again i don't know who's directing it do you know who's directing the next episode uh, no it's a it's a big mystery like, right now and it, it seems like they're... why we're not knowing because like that's what a lot of people keep saying and i think that that's very high hopes oh my I... God, it is i was thinking maybe he would do like episode six after ahsoka but i'm thinking if you're not saying who it is the only person that i can think of is like george lucas if, if you're keeping yeah. under wraps unless john I, is doing it again I, here's my thing here's my thing I love George. I love George more than most human beings uh, uh, on this planet. I, I, meaning that like I love him more than I love most human beings. Uh, I, I love what he's given us. I love what he's done. I think that he's a visionary. Mm-hmm. I, all of that said, I don't want him to direct an episode of The Mandalorian mm-hmm. because I don't think that George is a good director. Uh, I think he's very good at a lot of different things. I don't think he's a good director. So this, this weird... Um, I rose tinted perspective that a lot of people have where all of a sudden now in the year 2020, George Lucas is a fantastic director and we want him to direct everything now. Right. When it's like, um, take a step into my little time machine here back to the year 2005, a short 15 years ago, when every last one of you people that's now clamoring for George Lucas to come back to Star Wars would not stop ragging on the guy. Yeah. Leave him alone. Let him have his life. Big I don't want him to direct Star Wars because I don't want him to have to deal with any of the flack that he would get for directing Star oh, Wars. Oh, I definitely one. agree with that. Yeah. And I think he's a great big picture guy. And I mean, actually, New Hope is my favorite of the originals. I mean, it's gone back and forth, but it's, it's a new hope now. I think the biggest thing, and this is not just with him, this is with a lot of people, you've got to have a strong no man. And this can be if you're a writer with an editor or if you're a director or whatnot, if you're, you know, an actor to have that director be the no man in terms of those choices. And that's where I think the bigger picture comes in. I think I'm kind of with you on the sense, not necessarily in terms of skill, but just in terms of, I don't, you know, just the amount of, you know, conversation that would be around it. I'm sure it would all be positive if you did direct it, but I just, I think, you know, it's probably better for him. (laughs) I don't want to say that, you know, I would just hope that he would not be inundated again with the type of, you know, dramatic that came prior to it because so few people are able to be rational when it comes to these conversations. And um, so I, I guess we'll find out. So if if it is him, I hope for the best. I mean, I would still absolutely look forward to it. Um, And, you know, but at the same time, uh, you know, I, part of me is just, you know, I know George said he sold to Disney because he just wanted to be a dad and do those things. And I'm glad that he's yeah. going to do that right now because he deserves it from, you know, the amount of work that he's done over 40 years. So. We'll yeah. I think, I think people now. need to just leave the guy alone and yeah. let him retire. In yeah. peace, you know, it's uh, yeah. Can you imagine in any other, in any other uh, profession, if you were a plumber, and uh, and you did such a good job of plumbing this one time back in 1977, and you worked all these years, and then you retired, and you sold your plumbing business to some other company, and you're like, I'm done, I'm done. And then every time you poked your head out, everybody in the world was like, oh, Gosh, you gonna weld a pipe? Is that what you're doing? And it's like, Oh, oh, I saw him in a building. I saw him in a building, and he was talking to another guy that's a plumber. 
I bet you he's making a comeback. And it's like, just let the guy be retired. Yeah. You know, like just leave him alone. He almost killed himself for this franchise more times than any person should ever have to put themselves through. Yeah. And yet people still want to try and get more blood from the rock. It's just, just leave them alone. Just, you know, and I, I also just don't think that like, I, it's not, not every story is for every storyteller. And I don't think that the story is a story for George. It's just not. I totally Um, agree with that. And I'm just, you know, just seeing him hold, Grogu, you know, that picture that we saw that Favreau took, that blurry yeah. picture, like that was enough. That was so beautiful. And I know, so, you know, I mean, it was like weirdly emotional to see that. And, you know, I hope that that was a good day for George on set. And oh. um, I mean, and I think that this, um, you know, is a good continuation of what he did. And, you know, a lot of other things, you know, even all the big things in terms of, you know, all the other stuff was happening. I do think that you know rebels was i do think that ray ray you know ray just ray she was and mm-hmm. um and not to take away from the skywalker i just i just always call her ray and um so i hope that he can look at it and you know for whatever misgivings or whatever he may may have like this he gave us so much and for so many of us in terms in the industry you know it is because of star wars that we are here and for so many of us in terms of just people who love stories or, um, yeah. you know, whatever these various um, things are that bring us in, that we have that. And, you know, Star Wars isn't just like modern mythology. You know, it is it is our culture now for, for better or for worse. And I hope that, you know, he can at least see that and just be like, okay, you know, I'm, you know, and just that importance of it because, you know, I don't know what I would do without it. And I know that it's, it's probably the same for a lot of us. Yeah, totally. <laughs> I'm laughing. I, just like one of the things is all Star Wars content is good. I just saw that on one of the Instagram things. And I was yeah. like, yes, I agree with you. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's jump into the mailbag. Let's see what, what the okay. listeners had to say about this episode. <laughs> I, it, over on Facebook, uh, Stephen Yip posted, uh, this episode was so good. It has everything except Baby Yoda slash Grogu. Oh. Let's, hey. Listen, Steven, it's Grogu. Uh, It's funny how good Bill Burr is in this role. Uh, So many great characters are emerging out of this series. I can't wait to see the season finale. The Easter egg drops, uh, Operation Cinder, TPS reports. I started cracking up and my wife was looking at me funny. Uh, She has never watched Office Space. The TPS report thing was a little bit. It was a good... It was just on the line. It was like just on the line. I didn't of like ooh. just because it's been ages since I've seen Office oh, yeah. Space. Like it, it's been a long time. And so it didn't make like any difference for me. But once I saw that, I was like, oh, okay, that's pretty great. Um, I it was quick that, enough for me that it was like, okay, we're fine. We're fine. Right. <laughs> just it keep going. Like it's not like he was beating it over the top. You know, it was yeah. just very kind of blase enough where it worked. I will say um, to Steven, I still say Baby Yoda a lot. It's, I mean, not that Mm -hmm. I don't like Grogu, it's just Baby Yoda is so ingrained in my brain. And especially with my niece, she just knows Baby Yoda. So that's another reason why I just- I've got, I've got my four-year-old, she now, she now corrects everyone. Saying Grogu? Yeah, she, she fought it at first. Like she did not like it when I first told her, she was like, no, his name is Baby Yoda. Yeah. And I was like, no, his name is Grogu. Yeah. And 
And now it's like if somebody else says Baby Yoda, including me, she's like, she's like, his name is Grogu. Yeah, it is. I would say the name has grown on me. At first, I was just like, oh no, and it it does fit him now, and I love how he responds to it, and he's so sweet with it, and so I use him interchangeably. But I mean, when I'm talking about like probably him specifically in this kind of manner, it would be Grogu. But a lot of the times with my mom or my sister or my niece, it's just Baby Yoda. Just sure, yeah. <laughs> it's just easier. Uh, let's do, jump over to Instagram. Uh, Black underscore James 20 says all Star Wars content is good. Uh, this episode was a slight disappointment to me. I expected the second to last episode this season to be like last season. Excited for the season finale. Uh, I was actually I liked it. I liked that it was a that it was a change uh, and that, yeah. that it definitely it was like it, we veered off course for a second there. But it's all it's all part of the story. Yeah, and I actually, um, well, what I like uh, from uh, this comment, too, is that even though it was a slight disappointment, there is that excitement for the finale. And again, all Star Wars content is good, and I agree with that. And I think that's the kind <laughs> of mindset to have with it, you know? And if it's something that you're not a fan of, okay, you're not a fan of, you move on with it, you know? And it's just so many people don't know how to do that. And so it, it's it's refreshing for me when I see something like that because it's honest and it's authentic in that, but it's still hopeful. And mm-hmm. it's like, it's, that's not that hard to do, to be honest. So um, I enjoyed the episode as well. I think my, oh, I feel like my top was probably still the Boba Fett that it was still um, Robert Rodriguez's episode just because it was so unexpected. And again, the amount of catharsis I've got from that, just because for me, uh, vulnerability is easy being authentic with my anger is a lot more difficult so being able to just watch boba <laughs> do all of that just mm. it, it just allowed me to process so much of what i haven't even done for myself this year and again from him it allowed me this this healing and that became from a communal thing and even though i'm watching the episode you know alone it's this communal storytelling that is allowing me to engage in what i'm going through and then i'm able to then bring it back here you know whether it's on twitter or to my parents or my therapist whatever or in this manner and i'm so thankful for that and that's and then so then to have this episode afterwards was really wonderful so i there they've i think the season started off a little kind of maybe discombobulated, but especially once we got to episode three, just being on this, this trajectory of where they're going. Um, they, mm-hmm. they really seem to have this line of, and, and they're going to get there. Yeah, totally. I, I, and then we've got an email from Sherston. and she writes in and says, interesting how bad Din is at improvising when he's got his helmet off. Actually, really interesting how his whole personality seems to change. Yeah. Uh, lots of really interesting stuff in this episode, actually, and I don't mean it in the snarky way. The perspective shift of the stormtroopers getting the hero edit, uh, Mayfeld's speech at the table and his attempt to relate to Din in the transport and his empathy to Din's cause, definitely worth a re- rewatch to get it all. Love Din's turn around on Moff Gideon's message. I am a little worried that the Empire has Din's face now. I wonder if that will come up again. I'm sure it will. Yeah, I'm sure it will. I guarantee yeah. it will. Actually. And that makes so much sense, of course, that he would be careful <laughs> with improvising yeah. with the helmet off. I mean, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's been able to hide behind that for so long, and then he's exposed. Uh, it's it's raw, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah. Uh, awesome. Well, I, I think we can wrap it up there. I, I thank you so much, uh, Samantha, for being on this episode uh, and digging into this stuff with me. It was good. It was good. We, we, we did some, we did some good work here today. Yeah, uh, and <laughs> to talk about the stuff that's coming up too, you know, that's, yeah, for sure. That's like, we have such a variety and I know it's maybe not exactly, you know, right on the horizon, but you know, close enough. So you know, we've got more Mandalorian and for me, like more Marvel stuff to keep me yeah. you know, engaged until then. Lots and lots to look forward to. Yeah. I think the most interesting thing is that like a, a year ago, they were saying like, hey, we're going to pump the brakes and yeah. uh, and reassess. And they did. They pumped the brakes. They reassessed. Uh, but then they put together a plan and yeah. now we get to see the plan. And yeah. uh, and, and the, next, the next few years look like they're going to be pretty fun. So I... Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. We'll have lots to talk about on this and other podcasts. Um, but uh, but this we're, we've capped two hours. So thank you guys for listening uh, to this one. I uh, where where can people find you online? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Sam Diane K S A M D I A N E K, just the letter K. Um, and this is my running gag. You can also uh, go to my IMDb page. This is what John Barely would always say, Samantha Cacho, K-A-C-H-O. And if you happen to have Investigation Discovery, I was just on an episode of Dead Silent. Um, that episode is titled The Torture Chamber. I will just forewarn you, it's very heavy material, but um, it was something that I found back in July and I was very... Um, it was something that was very important for me to end up being a part of. And I play investigator Christy Holt, who was, is a real person and working on this real case. So if you uh, have ID or can go to like Hulu and live TV, it should be on there. Awesome. Uh, cool. Well, that's very cool. Uh, you guys know you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at ArkWolf, A-R-K-W-U-L-F. Uh, and you can also go follow my uh, my art Instagram, uh, Archangel Wolf A R K A N G E L W U L F, um, and uh, and check out my Mando Monday illustrations over there. I I did draw Migs uh, this this week, and uh, uh, there's only one left. Um, oh my so, gosh! <laughs> so definitely follow me to see what I draw on Monday. Uh, for that uh, from the season finale in fact i'll probably end up doing more than one but Mm i i I, and then a little plug after uh after that because once i once i'm done with the season with mando mondays there's nothing left to draw so i'm going to be doing uh after christmas so starting on the 26th boxing day in canada yeah i i i'm going to be doing 12 days of xmas uh, and the uh, the Xmas stands for the X Men. So I'm gonna draw oh. I'm gonna draw twelve X Men characters over twelve days, uh, and uh, I'm really excited to draw something other than Star Wars <laughs> for a little a bit. Request. Yeah, go for it. Uh, Kitty Pride and okay. um, Lockheed because she's my favorite. Catherine and yeah, <laughs> I will put them on the list. I, Twelve characters is a lot of characters. It so is. I, I, but, gosh, it, I, I bet you when you start to do it, you're gonna be like, oh, I wish I would have done this one or this one or this one. It's true. So there are a lot of X Men. Yeah, there are there are a lot of characters oh, in that wow. universe. I, awesome. Uh, well, thank you again, Sam, for joining me on this episode, thank uh, and thank you to everybody for listening. And we will uh, we'll catch you next week for the season finale of The Mandalorian.
You can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Star Wars FMI. If you like what you hear, you can support us in two ways. First, by heading to store.thunderquack.com to pick up some merch, or by heading to patreon.com thunderquack to kick in with your monthly pledge of support. Your pledge gets you early access, exclusive podcasts, and more. Thanks for listening, and may the Force be with you. Faster More Intense is part of the Thunderquack Podcast Network. Head to thunderquack.com for more great podcasts.